0: Welcome back to the dark side. I'm your host Brianna. I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to part two of episode thirty-three-zero. Part two, three-zero.
1: Checking in on you.
0: How's everyone? Know... How's everyone doing doing good out there i hope
1: yeah i hope you're okay
0: we're doing pretty good in here we hope you're doing good out there we're happy you've joined us for part two the little conclusion to this crazy story
1: it's a wild one
0: it has so much there's really really so much going on here so like why don't we just dive right into it yeah people know what they're here for it's part two like they're so like, please stop talking, tell us part two, you left us in the thick of it.
1: We're going head first, into the thick of it.
0: Let's do it. Let's part go. two of the Springford Murders. First, a reminder, I gave the same reminder in the beginning of part one, a ton of this information for the episode that we are talking about came from Caitlin Rockett's article in Boulder Weekly. Thank you, Caitlin, for your great reporting. Also, thank you to the true crime writer, Mark Pinsky, and his excellent novel, Drifting Into Darkness, Murder, Madness, Suicide, and Death Under Suspicious Circumstances. (laughs) (laughs) That was a mouthful. That was a lot. thank you so much for all of your research, but that is a mouthful.
1: Hey, he's synced, but, you know, he goes into detail when he has to.
0: That's true.
1: Yeah, he's got to draw you in.
0: So yeah, just shout out to Caitlin Rocket, and Mark Pinsky. Uh, so much information came from them. So I will be referring to it a lot. I will be continuing to give some quotes from Mark Pinsky. And yeah, I just wanted to obviously shout them out. They're a main source for this episode, as well as remind you guys. I'm still waiting for my novel. I know to you, it is a week later. Why haven't I gotten the novel yet? I should have got that true crime novel and started reading it. But I'll have you know... Dyson and I are just recording back-to-back, so for us, it's only been a hot minute.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a little while.
0: So, um, since it has been a week for everyone else, I should give a little bit of a recap. Mm -hmm. In part one, we talked about Brent Sr. and Charlotte, and the amazing people that they were, especially to their son, Brent Jr., and despite the life of absolute luxury he lived because of his doting parents... He did brutally murder them on Thanksgiving Day in 2004. Brent was struggling with a lot of things. He couldn't keep a job. He was going in and out of university. He had a strange relationship with his friend slash caretaker slash spirit guide, Carolyn Scout. And he was having an increasingly difficult time coping with his bipolar disorder, which I did say was something I would touch on again. Mm-hmm. Um, I should have specified, I did not, but there is two types of bipolar disorder. There is type, uh, bipolar one and bipolar two. Brent was diagnosed with bipolar one. Um, in a nutshell, the differences are type one is more severe. You do go into full manic episodes. So manic highs and lows. Type two is more mild. It's You go into episodes or states of hypomania, which is... Still hard to manage, but not full on mania, mm-hmm. um, which is feeling things very extremely, extreme highs and lows. He was type one um, bipolar disorder. Okay. So th- these factors, the um, him not being able to keep a job, his strange relationships with the people around him, having an increasingly difficult time coping with his bipolar disorder... They were all compounding factors that led investigators to name him as their number one person of interest in the murders of Brett Senior and Charlotte Springford. The only problem was, when we left off last week, they were having troubles finding him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But before we get too heavy and into the thick of it. Welcome to One Hundred Horrors, a comedy podcast that seeks to rank the best one hundred horror films of all time, as dictated to us by a poster that one of us owns.
1: Every week, we bicker over another film in an attempt to give it an overall scare factor and secure its place in the One Hundred Horrors list. With features such as. I don't want to die!
2: but at least I won't die like that. And.
1: What would you say to a
2: We take a light-hearted approach to horror cinema so that it can be enjoyed by even the most squeamish of listeners.
0: So whether you're the person who's never seen a horror film in their life or the person who has a tattoo of Leatherface on the right arse cheek, there's something to be enjoyed in every episode of 100, 100 Horrors! Horror. <laughs> 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 Four days after the murder... Brent was finally located on Monday, November 29th at his home in Windsor, Colorado. Two Montgomery-based homicide investigators traveled to Greeley, Colorado to link up with the local investigators to conduct the first face-to-face interviews with Brent and Carolyn. The two of them denied Brent having any involvement with his parents' deaths. Pinsky interviewed many of the law enforcement personnel involved with the case and said, quote, Brent denied everything, but he was really vague and shaky on enough things that the cops knew something wasn't right. Brent and Carolyn were interviewed back to back in Greeley, and the cops were pulling all these tricks. Typical legal cop tricks. When both interviews were over, they said, hey, do you mind if we follow you back to the house to make sure you get home safely? End quote. For some reason, (laughs) Brent and Carolyn agreed. And we're like, of course, yeah, and invited them into their home, which <sighs> I'm sorry, even if you're innocent, you're like, no, thanks. He's yeah. Like, you have a warrant?
1: No. Yeah, you can stay outside, thanks.
0: But they were like, yeah, of course, come on in. And the whole time, they were just sticking to this story that Brent had been there all week, um, you know, throughout the Thanksgiving week. He had mm-hmm. been there. He never left. He was even there on Thanksgiving Day. He had dinner with us. So, no, he couldn't have been in Montgomery. But they had invited the cops into their home. So, obviously, the cops began questioning the children. Mm -hmm. So, Carolyn's children corroborated the story that Brent was home. But there was one kid who was described as, quote, a sort of unofficial foster child, end quote. What? No idea. Okay. But this kid is... Pretty cool, because he took he went aside with the police and privately told them that Brent was not home in Colorado on Thanksgiving and that everyone was lying. Oh, shit. Yeah.
1: He just drops the bomb. (laughs) I love that. Good job, kid.
0: And the police were were already like, we knew that. We fucking knew that he wasn't there. So, like, thank you, kid. So, they were like, this already shaky alibi that, that he had and being so vague completely fell apart. Because yep. then they were like, interesting. Um, uh uh-uh. good." He just told us you were home. so Yeah. Maybe that's why he's an unofficial foster kid. <laughs> <laughs> that is mean.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. That's not funny. No, that kid's a champ. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Within an hour of investigators leaving Brent's home, he drove himself to Mountain Crest Behavioral Clinic in Fort Collins, which is 26 minutes away from his home, and he, where he had received psychiatric care in the past, mm-hmm. and he wanted to check in, but the clinic had no available beds. So from there, he was sent to... Uh, should I look this up? Poudre? <laughs> well, how would you say that? Poudre? Poudre?
1: Padre Valley.
0: That doesn't say Padre. <laughs> I know,
1: it's poo- P-
0: powdry valley Podre? podry oh fucking hell i'll just google it wow okay so i just googled it and apparently it's literally pronounced pooter <laughs> <laughs> i should be like put it like a little spin like poodry
1: we're too cultured for it
0: okay so <laughs> from there he was sent to pooter valley hospital also in fort collins to await transfer to another mental health facility that had room a place called Centennial Peaks. See, that's a nice name. Yeah. In Louisville, Colorado, which is one hour south. Pooter. <laughs> Why? Spell okay.
1: Pooter, I hardly knew her.
0: <laughs> stupid. It's literally the worst time to be joking. Yeah. Pooter though. Yeah. It sounds look like it sounds like that. Okay, I'm letting it go. Brent claimed he was seeking help because he was tormented by visions of violence and told staff he might have, quote, done something crazy.
1: Oh, maybe.
0: Oh, yeah. And this is where he gives those damning statements to staff that I mentioned at the beginning of part one, where he tells them that he's having visions of blood and that he might have killed his parents. So, staff at Poudre Valley Hospital. Immediately admit him for a 72-hour lockup. Yep, okay. Around noon the following day, November 30th, police arrive at Poudre Valley and attempted to speak with Brent, but he was heavily medicated at this point, so the nurses forbid any interactions with him. Okay. However, the police learned quickly that Brent's hospital intake statement was incredibly incriminating and they obtained a court order that allowed them to take Brent into their custody and move him to Centennial Peaks before the 72-hour hold was up at Pooter. This is fucking Pooter. I know. I'm trying.
1: I know you're trying very hard, but I have the mentality of a 5-year-old, so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, yes. Um this is another just the story just keeps having moments of like yeah what else what else so he goes he gets taken in and i imagine it's already a very complicated like sort of nuanced job Mm -hmm. of what people are coming in to these facilities and saying but if you say like you literally probably killed your parents do you i wonder if that's normal to just be like oh that's not good so you just keep them on a hold like you'd think there'd be some kind of protocol where it's like okay we will put you we'll get you a bed we'll take care of you but also we'll tell the police
1: yeah (laughs) you're right like what was the police do i thought i I thought that they were following protocol
0: they the police just showed up because they knew that that brent went there (laughs) and then they were like the hospital staff's like no you can't talk to him he's medicated yeah like well let me see his papers please like we're the police yeah. And then they're like, what the fuck? He says in a statement to you that he probably killed his parents.
1: Like, hi, I don't know if anyone has given you our number, but it's three digits.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So the cops were like, what the fuck?
1: Yeah. I would have thought that's wild. I, w- I thought, I thought they did. Like, I thought that's why they showed up. But no, they just were following their leads and were lucky enough to find Yeah, they
0: them. found out after, uh, within an hour of the original and like investigators leaving their home. That he had gone to these different places trying to check himself in. Mm-hmm. So then they were like just following up. Oh my god! So did he check himself in? What what's going on? Is he okay? Is he in danger? Um, of like with himself or two others? Let's see those statements. Holy fuck! So we yeah. already think he probably killed his parents, and now he's literally telling you he probably did as well
1: Mm -hmm. yeah he's like admitting it
0: so that's just this this case man there's problems everywhere
1: i can hear the lawyers already it was not in a present state of mind to be making an admission
0: that's fair (laughs) that's where you can see it from both sides
1: sure okay but also (laughs) tell me i'm wrong i know
0: by this point, Brent's behavior was all over the place. To police and hospital staff, he was admitting that he most likely killed his parents. He never was saying, yes, I murdered them. But he was saying, "Like, well, I don't know. Like, I am having these weird visions. Like, I probably could have. Like, Maybe I did. Maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. So that's what he was saying to police and hospital staff. Behind their backs, he began calling news outlets in Montgomery to tell them that he didn't commit the crime. Ew. The first call he made was to WSFA News in Montgomery. Sorry, WSFA News Twelve in Montgomery, yeah. Al- Alabama. <laughs> On December second, he told them he was in quote unquote a mental facility in Louisville, Colorado, and that he had been diagnosed as bipolar. He also claimed stuff like, um, "Well, I I only just learned of my parents' death and funeral." Um, no one, no one in my family told me about their death and no one told me about their funeral because no one is returning my calls. Like I'm overcome with grief. There's no way that I could have ever had anything to do with this. And that's what he's telling news outlets in Montgomery where the murders happened.
1: Oh, I'm sure they bought that.
0: <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, sir. Yes, of course. Yes. Right. 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 We'll like hot off the press. We'll so, let everyone know.
1: Yeah. 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 We're actually live right now.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He called this news outlet, WSFA News 12, several times. Another time that he called, he said, quote, I've heard that detectives suspect me of the murder of my parents. I've heard they are trying to build a case against me, and I don't know what this is about. I cannot believe all of this is happening. Please help as I find out more information that I need to answer. I will call the media and will let them know I am not hiding or avoiding anything, end quote. So there's a bunch of other news outlets that he talked to, but that those were just like good examples of what these calls were like with him.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Brent had no legal representation during these communications with the media, so obviously they were not helping him. They were quite damning because he's telling people that actually... In relation to, like, telling someone you're innocent or guilty, you definitely don't want to be telling cops and hospital staff that you did it. Yeah. Re- like, regardless. Yeah. So, for his case, yeah, he did it. And he was telling them, yeah, I did it. But then he's, like, calling the news and being like, I didn't.
1: It's so fucking baffling.
0: Yeah. So, he had no legal representation. Stuff like this isn't helping. So, hospital staff at Centennial Peaks, where he was being held finally realized or like cared that he was making these calls and was like oh yeah you can't call the media anymore sorry and they just (laughs) they created a list of people that he was allowed to call and fax and he had to stick to this list so they were like no more media it's like thanks thank you why were you just letting him call the news in alabama and just rant
1: yep that's (sighs) fucking ridiculous i
0: these hospitals. Man. I don't
1: understand any of that from any angle. <laughs> why the hospital let him do it? Why he was doing it to begin with? Like
0: I don't know. It's
1: just wild. And the stuff
0: he's saying. Like no one even told me they were dead, but he's like telling everyone else in like the Colorado area. Like, yeah, I probably did it though. Yeah. But he's calling the news. I feel like someone's trying to pin this on me. Oh well, you're literally telling people you did it. God, it just makes no sense. It's a lot to wrap your head
1: around. Yeah. I think the only thing that we're going to come back to is it it makes no sense. It just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't, and
0: it won't, and I'm done. I don't know what the holdup was exactly, but it was either late on December 8th, or very early on December 9th, when Montgomery police got an arrest warrant for Brent for the murder of... Hospital and police records show that around midnight on December 9th, two Montgomery, Alberta detectives to Weld County, Greeley, Colorado detectives... What? Yeah. The fuck? You good? I know, I wrote this so <laughs> weird. <laughs>
1: you sounded like a computer that just got like a <laughs> like contradictory demand i uh, <laughs> i
0: felt that way i, I need to say Colorado. that again. <laughs> we're, going,
1: we're leaving it in
0: <laughs> okay 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 i get it Whew! third time's a charm right yeah we cut the one we keep that one here we go hospital and police records show that around midnight on december 9th two montgomery detectives two Weld County deputies and two Louisville police officers came to take Brent out of the psychiatric facility and into custody. Oh, that's cute. They came in couples.
1: They had like a tri date. (laughs) Yeah. A trait.
0: Oh, (laughs) (laughs) okay. But listen to this part. All right. So they took him into custody, Yeah. but they didn't take him straight to Boulder County jail, which is where protocol would have dictated him to be sent. Instead, they took him to the Louisville Police Department, which was, um, like, most as most small town departments would be in the middle of the fucking night, like, mostly locked up and very silent. So they brought him there. And according to Pinsky's interviews with Montgomery police officers, uh, Brent was officially arrested, taken into a storage room in Louisville Police Department, given his Miranda rights, and questioned for six hours straight. Oh, How sketchy is that?
1: Yeah, that's real sketchy.
0: And something to consider, which is a really great question from Pinsky's um, stand, standpoint, stand (laughs) on a soapbox. Pinsky asked a great question. He said, quote, apparently he, as in Brent, hadn't slept for 24 hours and he was still under the influence of psychotropic drugs. He was babbling, according to the surveillance tapes. End quote.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Another thing that's important to note is that when you arrest someone, you have to indicate on the arrest form what sort of condition the person in custody is in. Mm-hmm. And Pinsky says that the section on Brent's arrest form was blank.
1: They So they fucking knew yeah. what they were doing. So it took them they took him from just, the
0: mental hospital.
1: They didn't even hide it well.
0: Yeah, they <laughs> left it blank. Jesus. I know. So, so one guy
1: was probably just like, No i am not filling this out and ending up on trial having to defend a lie i'm just leaving it
0: well exactly so in this interview that pinsky did um with one of the montgomery police officers he asked him why they arrested a sleep deprived drugged man with no legal representation from a mental hospital Mm -hmm. and this cop was like or sorry pinsky first was like weren't you afraid that what you got from him would later be suppressed And the officer said quote, yes I was, but at that point all we had was one fingerprint that we couldn't use. So I just decided to roll the dice. Let the lawyers worry about it later. End quote. (laughs) Jesus. Which is what you had made like a similar point of saying was like they were just gonna like what if they couldn't bring this up later at trial and like it's just so messy. Yeah.
1: yeah. so messy. They obviously just had like a goal in mind and that, that was it it was just mm-hmm. just prove what happened and like pff, fuck so everything else
0: log them in on throw them in that storage unit yep okay so back to that storage unit or the, <laughs> sorry not the unit the room oh <laughs> my god it's not that bad yeah it's still bad but it's not a storage unit yeah so back to the storage room in louisville police department brent's being interrogated and a tactic used by the investigators was to leverage brent's devotion to carolyn So, are you ready for this?
1: (laughs) As ready as I'll ever be.
0: (laughs) Police, as well as pretty much everyone in the world, had no idea that Brent and Carolyn were legally married.
1: Oh my god, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh.
0: Nobody had any idea except for Charlotte, Brent's mother, who had only found out right before she was murdered. In November 2004. What? So, apparently, if we go back like five years earlier when Brent met Carolyn and he had moved to Newcastle with her to do those chores in exchange for the spiritual guidance stuff. Mm -hmm. Charlotte had always suspected that they got married and that they did it in secret for some weird reason. And she would question them about it. She'd be like, this is a, she's not a stupid woman. Mm -hmm. She's like, nothing is weird about this like did you guys get no get hitched like i won't be mad won't be mad
1: mad but also
0: but like what's going on
1: maybe the caretaking funds might go away right because you're married
0: (laughs) so she questioned them like quite a few times about this and they're always saying no 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 like our relationship is strictly platonic we sleep in separate rooms it's not like that
1: 100 percent professional
0: Okay, but there's more on that in a minute. Yeah. I'm sorry. Does everyone have a like a little like bulletin board or something with some red string going on? <laughs> so much information. <laughs> so they were saying, no, no, never. And Charlotte had checked marriage licenses in Colorado and in Wyoming and never found anything. But someone, I have no idea who, but someone tipped her off and was like, yo, you should search records in South Dakota. So Charlotte was like, okay. And she did. And she. Finally, in November 2004, like I said, right before she was murdered, found their marriage license, and they had gotten married in South Dakota, which is an hour uh, from Newcastle, Wyoming. It seems like you just go to South Dakota if you actually need anything important.
1: <laughs> it's starting to sound like it, yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So they likely would have gotten married in the summer of 1999, which is when Brent had gone and lived on the property. Mm-hmm. There was no date available that I saw. But likely, it was then, because they got married when Brent was 24, and Mm -hmm. Carolyn was 48. Oh, my God. So... This is still
1: gross.
0: It's just... That's like...
1: It's manipulative. mm -hmm. Like, sure, you can marry older, but like, this circumstance? Yes. Whoa.
0: When you're essentially supposed to be this person's caretaker. Yep. And this person is seeking really an... Big thing from you.
1: There's an innate vulnerability to it. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. gross.
0: So I bet the
1: priest tipped him off, though.
0: I don't know who it was. I'm
1: thinking because because I, I was initially going like, oh, is it like a court marriage? But no, honor property. Okay.
0: No, I think I, it was. Uh, no, I think it was like they just went somewhere and signed papers. Oh. I don't think they had like a wedding. I think they just got married. Oh, okay. All right. But I, don't I mean, know who it was. I doubt these people had a priest there. <laughs> I think that they just went somewhere. That's <laughs> why they had to go to like a, somewhere else, a bigger city to like sign papers and go to like a proper mm-hmm. yeah. hall or whatever, the, How they do it in America. So um, yeah, it's just all weird. Like, why would they go to South Dakota of all places? Is it because it's like the only big city nearby or is it because like maybe Carolyn had connections in South Dakota as well? Mm-hmm. or was it the only available place did they not want records of their marriage in wyoming because mm-hmm. like it could be accessible accessible the oh. same way charlotte was already onto them and tried. yeah
1: that makes a lot of sense to me
0: it's just so strange and to me it's just so suspicious and such a shocking part of this story when you're like this relationship is already so weird it's so weird It's so weird what the fuck they were married
1: mm-hmm yeah
0: and so when i had said like um brent and carolyn were saying no it's strictly platonic we don't even sleep in the same room Mm -hmm. like it appears that that part is actually true carolyn had told investigators the same thing that she and brent never had a sexual relationship and this was because sex conflicted with reaching a state of higher consciousness plus brent saw carolyn as a spirit guide so he didn't really want that from her And then Mm -hmm. when the police had been at their home in Windsor, like talking to the kids and stuff, they also looked around and they saw that everyone had their own room. So there was room for each of the three children living in the home. Mm -hmm. Carolyn did have four children, but one of them was a lot older and was already out at school. Yeah. So there was a a room each for a kid. Then Carolyn had her own room and Brent had his own room. So it did seem to line up that like, sure, for whatever reason, they were married, which (laughs) There's probably a hundred reasons why someone would marry you. Yeah. And they don't have to be good.
1: Yeah, that's what I was thinking.
0: But it did seem like that it wasn't um, super intimate and definitely not sexual.
1: Yeah, it's so weird to me, though. Like, if they're not super intimate, it and, you know, like, the, they've got their own kind of, like, spiritual connection thing going on.
0: Well, at least Brent thinks they do.
1: Yeah, at least Brent thinks they do. So that they get married. And I, that just seems so out of the blue. And it kind of seems like uh, yeah, maybe an inheritance might have something to do with that. Some money or something. Yeah, I yeah. mean, I'm not going to just accuse someone of gold digging. But, you know, if I were to accuse a certain person well, I mean, in this all... story. <laughs> right.
0: Carolyn's already has her fucking claws into Brent and the parents mm-hmm. getting everything a house gifts for her children college tuition for her children
1: and getting and all while
0: secretly being married to their son already
1: yeah and how how long ago was it that they got married and then they and then this happened
0: they got married like immediately after meeting pretty much so they had they had met in early 99 Mm -hmm. and then they when the summer came Brent went and lived at New- in Newcastle, Wyoming with her on her property and did chores and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was that summer most likely that they got married because he was 24. Right. It's reported that he was 24. So that lines up with that time. Yeah. So, so she, had a,
1: she, she had a full sale at this point. Yeah. So
0: yeah. around the same time that she married him, she also got the offer to be like a unofficial caretaker and was getting money for that getting a house and like Mm -hmm. it just sounds like everything is um with carolyn what will benefit me how will i be taken care of especially monetarily yeah let me marry this uh vulnerable little rich boy
1: yeah yeah honestly it was like half my age (laughs) (laughs)
0: like yeah exactly half
1: Yeah. Ew.
0: Wait, exactly half? 24 and 48. 4 and 48. And yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly half, yeah. Well. Wow. It's too much. It,
0: yeah. Okay, so again, we segwayed, or like sidetracked, but again, okay, let's go back to that storage room where yep. Brent's-
1: Not storage unit.
0: Thank you. Did I say unit? No. Okay, this time I said room. Yeah. Storage room where Brent is being interrogated. And investigators are trying to leverage Brent's, quote unquote, devotion to Carolyn, because that's what they think it is. Mm-hmm. At this time, they don't even know. Straight up, they're married. So they want Brent to confess or else they're going to involve Carolyn. And then this is what pushed him to confess. Because he's like, no, don't involve her. Direct quote. Um, he admitted he had been in Alabama on Thanksgiving Day, waiting for his parents to come home. And he no longer had a key to their house, as we know. Mm -hmm. So he broke in through that one window that was not connected to the alarm system. He confessed that right to them in that storage room. In every confession he gave from that one on, he always admitted to murdering them. But the reason or the motive changed from Brent saying either his father had threatened to sell that home in Colorado... Which is true? He did,
2: mm-hmm.
0: a, or it would change to a demonic spirit named Akasha appeared to him several weeks before the murders and was ordering him to murder. Where did he come up with that name? Okay, so great question. <laughs> uh, Akasha, Akasha apparently comes from Sanskrit, which is a Hindu a language of Hinduism. Right, and apparently it's um, it means uh, a basic element kind of like earth air fire Mm -hmm. so akasha can be placed with that but to me when i hear akasha i just think of alaya and queen of the damned so (laughs) also that came out in 2002 so i mean maybe brent was just really into alaya yeah just saying (laughs) that's inappropriate but i have to make some light when i can So that's where that name, as you asked, that's where that name comes from. Apparently, Sanskrit. Okay. Not Queen of the Damned. (laughs)
1: That we know of.
0: That we know of. During an interview with Mary Cottonstedt, a paralegal in the Boulder County Public Defender's Office, Brent claimed to have met a man at Whole Foods in Boulder who called himself Akasha. Brent said the meeting made him feel blessed and eventually it was akasha who told brent that something good would come from him visiting his parents and it was akasha who said this trip should be made in secret by bus now most people discredit that second motive of it being you know akasha that spoke to him in some way and they believe the first one so that it was mainly motivated financially the fact that Brent's father had said, um, I'm going to sell that house.
1: Yeah, that seems like the less ethereal reasoning. Right. Yeah.
0: But while most people do believe that first theory, they do think that there's more to it, and they think Carolyn had a way bigger role.
1: Yeah, I can definitely see that.
0: The only logical way that murder could have been viewed as a path to Brent and Carolyn keeping the Colorado home and the money flowing in is if someone thought that Brent would inherit his parents' estate if they were murdered and said murder went unsolved. The Springford property in Montgomery was a multi-million dollar estate, and according to Brent Sr. and Charlotte's will, it was to be split 50-50 between their two children. Okay. Pinsky claims that in his interviews with defense team members, they revealed that Carolyn spoke with the defense team numerous times in a rather casual manner about her inheritance rights.
1: It's just casual. Just Just casual. keeping it chill over a beer, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, according to Pinsky, recorded Boulder County Jail conversations between Brent and Carolyn show Carolyn trying to discuss the inheritance, but Brent cuts her off. Pinsky actually has a handwritten letter that brent gave to carolyn where brent writes that he's worried if she mentioned the inheritance it would sound bad if their conversations were being monitored
1: that's suspicious
0: it's all just <laughs> not looking good but, for those two
1: you know it'd look bad if we mentioned our inheritance you know it also looked bad
0: a note that says don't mention the inheritance <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know,
1: would <it'd> look incriminating <laughs> Uh.
0: This is just one of the examples of Brent sort of trying to protect Carolyn by saying, like, giving that note over and being like, yo don't, 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 don't don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. Um, Written correspondence from Brent to his defense team also demonstrate, like, appear to demonstrate that his primary goal was to protect his wife. And in many ways, this created grief for Brent's attorneys. Pinsky said, quote, In emails, in particular between three members of the defense team, there's increasing frustration because Brent didn't want them to talk to his wife. And he would say she wasn't being respected when they did go to talk to her. He would not allow her to be called as a witness either. End quote. So, again, another example of how he seemed to just try and protect her. Yeah. In November 2005, Brent was extradited to Montgomery, Alabama. The state appointed Brent two private attorneys, a man named Jay Lewis and a man named Bill Blanchard. Both were prominent in Montgomery and both had defended in capital murder cases before. Obviously, for Brent, they were arguing not guilty by reason of insanity. Right, yeah. The defense continued to build the case that Brent was mentally ill before he committed the murders, And a documented history of treatment for bipolar disorder should spare Brent from a death sentence. Because Alabama was a death sentence state.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: They even brought in Pinsky's sister-in-law, who is a woman named Susan Wardell, which is actually how Pinsky came to be aware of this case. Oh. So his sister-in-law, Susan, is a death penalty mitigation specialist and she was taken on by this defense team. And part of her job was compiling a psychological profile of Brent in order to prevent him from receiving the death penalty.
1: That's a hell of a job.
0: Yeah. So she had yeah. tons of documents because she was part of the defense team. Mm-hmm. So that's how Pinsky became so heavily like interested and involved with this case. Okay. Around this time, so uh, Brent getting transferred or, sorry, extradited. ...to Montgomery and them trying to build this case of him being, you know, mentally insane, essentially. Mm -hmm. Carolyn's devotion was waning, and she didn't seem to have the same level of, like, care or concern that Brent obviously did for her. Pinsky said, quote, He had a couple visits from his wife while he was in Boulder County Jail. Then, when he was sent to Montgomery County Jail, his wife never visited... But twice sent him a very strange note saying, we support you. If you get the death penalty, we'll come out to see you.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, like, I don't know. I was thinking about this. And Colorado and Alabama are pretty far apart. So maybe that's why she didn't visit. Mm
1: -hmm. But then
0: you get a note like that. Yeah. And... it's just like no like she literally just didn't care like to make an appearance when you're literally in the same city is easy mm-hmm. and then you, they get extradited and you're like oh great <laughs> yes I don't have to go and visit and also like i oh, hope you don't get the death penalty but if you do like we'll be there uh. also
1: i feel like you should still be visiting
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> like
1: you know. you so should, you
0: should be trying to help your husband and his defense team make the case
1: yeah you'd you think. should be there even if just that's got to be the most taxing thing this guy will ever go through his entire in his entire life, and you're just like,
0: sorry, yeah. No. If it all
1: goes wayward, I'll uh, I'll show up and
0: <sighs>
1: watch you fry. I guess I don't know. Oh my god! Like, well, I like, know, I know. It's callous, right? It is. Yeah.
0: So, despite Carolyn's deteriorating communications with Brent, the defense team still needed her help in getting Brent to accept a deal that would change his plea from not guilty by reason of insanity to guilty which would save him from the death penalty. And instead, Brent would be sentenced to life in prison without the chance of parole. Hmm. So they wanted him to plead guilty for a few reasons. But an example of one is because Brent had purchased a mask and gloves before going to his parents' home on Thanksgiving, making the murders look premeditated.
1: Yeah, that looks pretty premeditated. Yeah,
0: so automatically they're like, even if we argue you know that you aren't you were not in the right mind it still looks premeditated and that in it of itself kind of shows a level of comprehension for what you're doing Mm -hmm. so they're like carolyn you got to help us with getting through to him and saying you have to plead guilty so that you don't get the death sentence right so the defense team asked carolyn to send brent a letter that they had dictated so she didn't even have to do the work they just wanted it to this letter to come from her because still Brent was so devoted to her. Mm -hmm. So they were like, just send this letter. We already wrote it. And in it, we're just asking him to take the deal and it's coming from you. It'll, it'll sound better. And he actually finally accepted the plea and changed his plea to guilty of capital murder instead of not guilty by reason of insanity. Okay. So upon hearing that Springford, (laughs) Springford, (laughs) <laughs> brent upon hearing that brent pleaded guilty his sister robin gave the following statement to wsfa 12 news Quote, in november 2004 i lost the two most special people in my life it was devastating enough to lose my parents but to lose them at the hands of my own brother was unimaginable many years passed without a resolution to this tragedy and though And though we have been patient with the judicial system and stoic on the outside, our family has been more than ready to see justice served. Today, we finally received some closure in what we feel the person responsible for it all is being held accountable for what he did. Although I feel he deserves the same fate he afforded my parents, our family does take comfort in knowing that he will no longer be able to harm anyone else
1: Wow. Yes. Although I feel he deserves the same fate.
0: Yes. her His <laughs> own sister. So there's obviously no love lost there. No. So when she heard that he did accept the deal to just plead guilty, she was like good. Because he is. Mm-hmm. And I also read that Robin was certain that her brother would have killed her too if she had returned to Montgomery with her parents.
1: Oh, I don't doubt that.
0: And even though he was locked up, she frequently thought um, like like what if he escapes? Because mm-hmm. she was so afraid of of him and what he'd what he'd do. Yeah. And yeah, I I had read that on that Thanksgiving when they were out for lunch with the family, it was Rob and they were visiting. So I think that's why she had said like, well, what if I just decided I'd go back to the house with them that day? Like I would be dead. I know he would murder me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think for sure that would have happened.
0: So I just thought that was a really powerful statement. Plus, we'd never really heard from her yet. And it's just nice to get her perspective as well. And she's clearly like, yeah, there's no love lost there. No. It's such a... Your own brother murders your parents. Yeah. So after four years of the defense building a case for Brent, a change of venue, and countless hours trying to control his erratic behavior, the abbreviated trial began. Now... Despite the guilty plea, state law still required a brief trial and jury verdict, so an abbreviated two-day trial took place. Mm -hmm. My understanding of an abbreviated trial means that there's direct criminal proceedings that eliminate the usual trial structure so the offender can go before a judge sooner.
1: Okay. Yeah. So- So It's like an abbreviated book. Like, we're just cutting out some of the (laughs) slow shit. And getting right to it yes okay.
0: essentially like right to the sentencing phase mm-hmm. so the abbreviated trial like an abbreviated trial happens for different reasons but in this case it was because Brent pleaded guilty to capital murder and prosecutors agreed to a sentence of life life in prison without parole rather than a death sentence so they didn't have to try and argue sides because both sides just agreed fine they're gonna take the, the plea mm-hmm. then we agree this is the sentence so of course he admitted to killing them, but made sure to say that he had no recollection of the actual events that led to their deaths. And I'm genuinely curious how much that actually happens. Mm. You know how like sometimes they'll say like, "I don't remember," like I don't remember the events. I blacked out. Yeah. Like, I'm I'm ac- like genuinely curious how often that happens. Yeah. That people actually just black out and don't remember. Yeah. Because I... it just seems like so easy to say. Yeah, I, but I. I bet it's that... like
1: just such a small number. Like yeah, like it has
0: a... to happen, but like how often?
1: Yeah, and and from bipolar, like I, I think it's like usually like a pretty intense like condition you have to cause that. Like I've know I've I know I've seen like um like people with like very 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 severe cases of schizophrenia where mm. they're just they're in like an episode and like they're in it they're just there's no control there's no like cognitive exactly response with them and it's just
0: like do you remember bits and pieces is it true from brent's perspective where he was going to these hospitals and saying that he's having visions of like blood and violence like is that the recollection he has he actually doesn't remember murdering them he just knows something happened i think he fucking remembers
1: i do too yeah
0: so yeah i'm just I i just sat and thought about that for a second like hmm Interesting. I wonder how often people really don't remember. Or if they, or initially, if they don't, how long does it take for them to remember?
1: Yeah. Yeah, that'd be interesting to know.
0: But yeah, anyway, that's just a little sidebar from me and what I think about. <laughs> so jurors heard Brent's taped confession that he made after his arrest. On the tape, Brent said his father had threatened to sell the house where he lived with his wife and her children. He said he thought if he, quote unquote, surprised them, that he could keep them from severing ties. But after his parents learned that he had broken into their home, an argument ensued with his father, and Brent attacked his father with the axe handle, went after his mother as well, and finished them off with a kitchen knife. Ugh. That is from his taped confession. Brent was finally sentenced to life in prison without parole in December 2008. He was sent first to Kilby Correctional Facility in Montgomery County, Alabama, Alabama. <laughs> well, I don't know why every time I have a problem saying Alabama.
1: <laughs> Alabama.
0: Alabama. For a 90-day evaluation, then to the place where he was to serve his life sentence, the Donaldson Correctional Facility in Bessemer, Alabama, where the state's most violent and mentally unstable criminals are housed.
1: Yeah, oh, God. That's got to suck.
0: <sighs> So we don't know why Brent killed his parents. Was it an evil spirit named Akasha who sent him to Montgomery? Was he manipulated by someone else, Carolyn? (laughs) Someone, you know, more real as many of the law enforcement officers and defense team members involved in this case believe, Carolyn. Did Brent talk to his parents to try to save the house and keep money flowing to his wife and her children? Or did he go there straight up for blood? I don't know. And we won't know. And um, what do you think? What do you think, listener?
1: Yeah. What do you think?
0: I think it's obvious what I think. <laughs> <laughs> Carolyn? Yep. I think yep. she had such a huge role. Such a huge role. She's I do so that. manipulative.
1: Yeah, I, I do too. I, th- I think 100%. Like it, The signs are there from the very beginning.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's just so sad that some of them were there from day one and it just takes years to just look back piece it all together and go oh woof Mm -hmm. she's not a very good caretaker
1: no she wasn't a caretaker at all
0: not even a little she's just an abuser a manipulator and the worst kind too because it's always so gross when someone's manipulating someone who's just vulnerable yeah Whatever the truth is, we'll never know, because after spending five years in prison on October 8th, 2013, 37-year-old Brent was found unresponsive in his cell and taken to Brookwood Medical Center in Birmingham, where he was pronounced dead. Oh! An autopsy showed the cause of death to be a lethal dose of Tylenol. So he...
1: So he was just... He was storing him. hmm Okay.
0: Yes. He was storing them and ended his life. Former Montgomery District Attorney Ellen Brooks, who was part of the prosecution in Brent's case, said, quote, While I expected him to die in prison, I didn't expect it at such a young age. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. That's just, that is ruthless.
0: The District Attorney, who was part of the prosecution, said that.
1: Yep. Wow. Yep. He's like, I'm not even sorry about it.
0: I know so to end this case on a quote from Pinsky that really encapsulates so much about Brent and just who he was as a person and just to make you guys feel even more conflicted (laughs) quote in a letter to his lawyer Brent asked if he could arrange to be put in a cell block with all white men over 60 because he wanted a placid environment It was like he was calling the marriott he just didn't understand that that wasn't the way that things operated you know he had had everything when he asked for things his parents almost never turned him down until the very end and he just didn't understand end quote
2: oh gross
0: so in this one quote pinsky puts it perfectly he's so privileged he got everything he wanted and asking can you just put me with a bunch of white people, please? Because I want it to be a placid and But you old
1: white people, you know?
0: Like, dude! Jesus
1: Christ, he dude. He still
0: didn't get it. He just... Yeah. The reality check never got to him, ever. Nope. And, I mean, that's, uh... That's the murder of Brent Sr. and Charlotte Springford. It's the story of their spoiled son. Some questionable police practice. I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's a little weird. Storage room, maybe. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, while that's seemingly the end of the story, it's not the end of the story for his strange shaman wife, Carolyn. On June 24th, 2015... A 60-year-old man named Richard Campbell was found dead of a gunshot wound at 1074 Old Highway 85 in Newcastle, Wyoming. The property where Campbell's body was found was owned by Carolyn Scout.
1: Oh, God.
0: Lead investigator at the time, Sergeant Patrick Watsaba of the Weston County, Wyoming Sheriff's Department, said Campbell had been living on the property for approximately 10 years. The okay. initial investigation hadn't revealed how the two became acquainted, but the sergeant said, quote, this was not a cohabitation with Carolyn Scout. They lived in separate residences that shared the same address, end quote.
1: The okay. investigation
0: also hadn't determined whether Campbell was paying Carolyn rent or rendering maintenance like services in exchange for a place to live.
1: That's so familiar.
0: Right? Yeah. So they weren't. In any sort of, like, intimate relationship, but he was likely just doing chores in exchange for somewhere to live.
1: Yeah, this is just a repeat. This is deja vu.
0: Isn't that freaky? After
1: it went all so wrong the first time.
0: And they think he lived there for approximately 10 years. We'll put it at 2005, which is, like, after Brent would have been extradited to Montgomery and Mm -hmm. Carolyn stopped visiting him.
1: Oh, she's such a piece of work. Right? Yeah. Unreal.
0: It's insane. Like, you can't even write this stuff. Like, this is just crazy. (laughs) Well, I did write it, but it's based on real life. (laughs) 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 Campbell's body was found face up on a bed in his residence. The firearm, a Brazilian copy of a Winchester Model 92, was found lying on the top of his body. At the time of Campbell's death, it was being investigated as an unattended death while the coroner's report was being completed. So, um, a suicide.
1: Okay, thanks.
0: Pinsky began working with Weston County investigators because Pinsky is like, did I hear the name Carolyn Scout? <laughs> Here I come.
1: Come running.
0: Yep. yep. So, through their investigation, the group discovered that Carolyn had purchased a life insurance policy on Campbell worth $100,000. In addition to the life insurance policy, they found that the money from Campbell's father's estate had ended up in her bank account.
1: Curious.
0: Suspicions surrounding Campbell's death continued to peak as Carolyn continually requested a death certificate from the coroners so she would be able to collect the payout on the life insurance policy. Oh my god. The number of parallels between the Brent Springford case and Richard Campbell's case helped in leading the investigating group to believe carolyn had a larger role in both of the crimes
1: yeah no kidding
0: pinsky said quote there is a surreal pattern of exploitation both mental and financial end quote which is a good word to put it because i'm like manipulative yeah but like straight up exploitation
1: yeah that's perfect
0: yes so after the coroner's inquest into the death was complete Campbell's death was ruled to be suspicious, and the cause of death was changed to homicide. Good. A quote from the Weston County Sheriff's Facebook page reads, On October 29, 2016, Weston County Sheriff's deputies arrested 64-year-old Carolyn Scout. The arrest came after an interview and investigation into a report of witness intimidation conducted by the Weston County Sheriff's Office on October 28, 2016 after an investigation of the allegations the information and evidence obtained was forwarded to the weston county prosecuting attorney's office ultimately leading to the issuance of a warrant for scout's arrest scout was arrested at her residence at 1074 old highway 85 south of newcastle wyoming without incident scout was arrested on a charge of influencing intimidating or impeding of witness in violation of wyoming statute 6-5-5-305A, a felony, punishable by imprison- imprisonment for not more than 10 years, a fine not more than $5,000, or both, end quote. Oh. That picture I showed you of her, when yeah. you were like, what the hell's going on in that photo? What's she wearing a bulletproof vest? <laughs>
1: <laughs> the answer to that was yes.
0: That was after she was finally arrested. All right. Now, she was not arrested for Campbell's murder. But she was arrested for intimidating witnesses and probably people who were going forward like, man, she did not treat that man well. And like,
1: oh, my God, I
0: saw them on the property. I always thought it was suspicious or maybe even like Richard Campbell's family himself, who are probably like, yo, like she totally was isolating and exploiting my relative. Mm -hmm. And she was going after these people like you shut your fucking mouth. (laughs) <laughs> and then the cops were like, no, no, that, that. is intimidating a witness, Carolyn. And Carolyn. I'll have you know, that is in violation of Wyoming statute 6-5-305A, a felony.
1: You'll be able to read more read up more <gasps> on that when I fucking throw this book at you.
0: <laughs> Ping. Ah, ah
1: the flak jacket, it did nothing. <laughs>
0: Is that what a bulletproof vest is yeah
1: blackjack okay
0: so that's what you said yeah so carolyn scout died of natural causes in 2019 so uh so sadly the extent of her involvement in both the springford murders and the murder of richard campbell may never be known
1: oh that actually does suck
0: but more details surrounding this particular case of richard campbell is said to be available in pinsky's book You know, drifting into darkness, murder, madness, suicide, and death by Anderson's suspicious circumstances. Damn it, Pinsky, that's a long title. (laughs) So I will be reading that, and then I guess I'll update you guys on any new information I read in that book. Hopefully it has a little bit more about this case and Carolyn's potential involvement Mm -hmm. and some of the loopholes I might have ranted on, (laughs) especially in part one with the car being found in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't understand.
1: That is so weird.
0: So, yeah that's that's actually the end now but how crazy is that
1: that was a wild one i loved that one
0: thank you <laughs> and thank you Pinsky.
1: yeah i'm sorry about your publishers putting your title for that book
0: he probably was like no this is the title <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah maybe
0: and he's like but you can just call it drifting into darkness yeah so yeah and also thank you to everyone here for tuning in to episode 30 so hopefully you guys enjoyed that case as well. That was wild ride, I know. Thanks for hanging in there for two parts, but that's just sometimes the best way to deliver something as intense as this. Mm-hmm. If you guys need something more uplifting after all of this heaviness, you know what I'm going to say? Go check out my boys. Yeah. Our 100 horrors. <laughs> and again, we'll put their show, link, show, we'll put that we'll link the show in the episode the sh-
1: the li- the link of the sh- the show's link joker font smaller font <laughs> in joker The joker font show's link.
0: a small a much smaller font joker font um, tim Heidecker for vice president <laughs>
1: uh uh news flash no- another update uh it's 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 also rick uh, hamburger rick rick rick, ha- rick rick hamburger uh for president and uh Semicolon, uh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, you know that reminds me, because um, I watched that show in high school, and my siblings were so much younger than me. So I would always go up to them.
1: I know
0: <laughs> this is what I do. I sit on you, sit on you, and I would just sit on them. They're like tiny children. Yep. And then it was like years later, and Julia was watching it and she started having like flashbacks to just me sitting on them singing that song (laughs) and she saw the guy that in this in like the short skit thing that's like singing it and he's just all like in denim and looks (laughs) so stupid and weird singing this is what i do i sit on you and he's just sitting on strangers she just said she had this flashback of like oh my god Okay. Anyway, guys, thanks for hanging in there with us. Yeah, thanks. If you haven't already, please make sure you rate the show five stars. And when you go and listen to 100 Horrors, make sure you give them a nice little rating too. Five stars doesn't hurt. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's going to be uh, pictures related to the case on Instagram. So make sure you go over there, give us a follow. We're also on Twitter, we're on Facebook. Yeah. Get in touch by visiting our website. And, you know, we haven't mentioned it in a hot minute. So, like, when you're on our website, you could also buy a patch yeah they're gorgeous
1: dark adaptation patch
0: dark adaptation podcast tune in next week for episode 31 we're traveling to australia we haven't been there since episode 13 so 31 seems fitting you know
1: great isn't that the place that neither of us can properly do the accent but also can't help ourselves to trying
0: i'm never gonna say i tried
1: all right okay fair <laughs> Are you trying? Why? No. <laughs> yeah,
0: we're going to Australia. Down
1: on deck. <laughs> Jesus Christ.
0: <laughs> and we're going to talk about um, a lady named Betty Shanks. So... Oh! <laughs> that's right. Australia, will you. You know, what, you know what's up. We're coming for you. Right, we'll catch you.
1: <laughs> we'll catch you.
0: On the next side. Bye. Bye. During an interview with a woman named Mary, Cottonsteads. Oh, Cot- cool. okay.
1: close one. Can't say that word, Brianna
2: <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> you just made beer come out of her nose. There wasn't a beer. Oh. No,
0: it's straight bug
1: Oh, all right. Well, still taking it as a win.